Hello, everyone. I'm Joseph Long, and this is a special Christmas edition 2020 of This is the Long Version. Stories and musings about 21st century parenting, education, and organizing the creative process. Well, here we are in the holiday season 2020, coming up on the end of the year, and there's all kinds of stuff to say about it. And I think my wife, the venerable Countess Becca, may have said it best. Her ongoing phrase for this season has been, ho, ho, humbug kind of combining uh, parts of a strange year that I'm not going to talk about. Instead of talking about this year a whole bunch, I'm going to have uh, five different sections in which I leap backwards 10 years and talk about a couple of thoughts I had a decade ago. And I'm also going to tell a story at the end about me and my dad on a Christmas Eve that was memorable and in between some other little anecdotes here and there. So thank you for being here, and I hope that you are doing well. This first piece I wrote in December 2010, and it's called, We Say Hello and Also Goodbye. We have done little today, save spend time in cheery, occasionally grumpy holiday spirit together. I spoke on the mobile telephone earlier this morning with my parents. They extended an invite to join them for a complimentary breakfast at Embassy Suites, where they had stayed the night before. We did so, leaving behind a trail of laundry in state of anarchy and piled dishes at home in an equal state of disarray. We left, and we rocked so hard in our automobile to Hot Chips 2006 classic over and over. And I will state that that song is the In My Life of 2006. It's twice as long, there's no harpist chord, but... It, it has that repetitious yet fresh and transcendent feel that the very best pop songs have. That, of course, I'll go back to Rubber Soul. That indescribable and ephemeral quality that makes a song get better with every listen. Insistent driving beats that just thunks you until you gotta dance, even when you're in a moving vehicle. Like a monkey with a miniature symbol, the joy of repetition really is in you. You gotta listen to it. Anyway, walking into the hotel's breakfast great room, I was reminded of one of the things our family does best. Hellos and goodbyes. Our family does Lord of the Rings length farewells. It is not an efficient process. It is the antithesis of the so-called French goodbye, which is ironic, considering the fact that we are French and Russian, Welsh, Scottish, and German, I think. Anyway, there is love and long hugs and no sitting to greet someone's arrival. Public hug fests are not a second thought. They are embedded. They were embedded pre-COVID, anyway. It feels good to know that your arrival is important. So that is what we were greeted with upon entering the hotel's breakfast great room. Sorry, fellow breakfasters. Then we got serious. Piled up, dripping cube potatoes, fat yellow omelets, giant cuts of melon and grapefruit... Deep dishes of oatmeal, eased down with blonde coffee. I'm hungry again just writing this. Our daughter hopped in for a quick swim with her grandma. Our boy hung out with his grandpa while Beck and I returned shoes to an unnamed retailer. I will not advertise for. I did the chauffeuring. If you go shopping this time of year, you're going to run into angry people. Honking horns, middle eye fingers, and general irritation. There are so many other people out and about. I tend to like humans. I like to see people interacting and personalities bumping and buzzing and feeding off each other. Not like cannibals, but just in a more symbolic sense. I want to gain momentum from others, to pick up energy from social collisions, to bring an enthusiasm to my interactions with strangers that is infectious. Infectious, again, 
before COVID. Uh, infectious felt like a word that was okay to use in certain contexts. So in 2010, it, it was, notwithstanding a pandemic scare from 2009 that we don't need to talk about right now. Anyway, I want my presence to help bring out the best emotions in people. I'm not talking about an artificial pleasantry, an obnoxious veneer of fake happiness with a just smile and pretend everything is all right flavor. I go up and down too as a functioning elevator or human should. Looking at others' misfortunes is not automatically a schadenfreudish gesture of your misfortune makes me smile. No, it is an acknowledgement that it is all too simple to get pulled into our own isolated caves of self-pity and problems. Most of the problems I have start to feel lame when contrasted with those that many others face. It is cliche but true. And looking away from ourselves, we are able to understand ourselves more and to remember all that is good in our lives. So we considered pulling out Jay-Z's Blueprint from 2001 to soundtrack the homebound commute, but we stuck on Fistful of Mercy and a collection of holiday classics. Those five holiday classics would be Lowe's version of Blue Christmas, Stevie Nicks' rendition of Silent Night, Jack Johnson strumming along to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Louis Armstrong and Frank Sinatra belting out silver bells, and Nancy Wilson's beautiful classic, Here is Christmas. When we got home, we finished the day off with another 30 minutes of Elf. Yes, since having children, we have long been uh, believers in the movies broken up into sections and intermissions kind of thing. So 30 minutes of Elf. What joy. Goodbye. This next piece is also from the same year, from December, and I like to think of it as a companion piece. It's simply called Forgot. We drove into Portland this evening, made one stop, to return my mom's purse. She forgot it yesterday. She forgot it at our home. That's where she forgot it. I forgot where I put the charger for my camera. I also forgot where my hot glue gun is. I think I forgot to respond to some emails today, too. I don't remember which ones. Forgetting get such a bad rap, like it's always a negative thing. I am frustrated with myself right now over having a dead camera and a missing glue gun. One of the reasons I am an obsessive list maker and journalist, or journalerist, is that I don't trust my memory very much. I think one of the things that makes me a decent person, specifically parent, is a recognition of memory's nebulous nature. I can't choose what memories people will have of me. I can't choose exactly what will be our children's formative memories. I can't pick those moments, those experiences where I was a really good dad, and cram them into their long-term, easy retrieval memory storage. It's impossible. I cannot pick or control the memories other people have of me. It's like a corollary to live your life like there's always a camera watching you, which in our case there usually is. There's and I guess I should explain that. What I mean is I usually have a camera close by to document life around in some form. Anyway, there's an accountability that comes with knowing that any experience you have with your children, particularly early in their life, could be one of those memories their independent little brain plucks from obscurity and chooses to save as a personal highlight reel. I hope, I hope so badly that someday when our daughter is sitting in a classroom corner and the question is asked, what is your first memory? That her answer will be a really great one. Something having to do with making art or humming along to Tom Waits in the automobile or swimming in frigid Pacific waters. 
And I desperately hope it is not the time I got mad at her for stacking Lego blocks in my coffee or when I yelled at her for waking up her just fallen asleep baby brother. Or even worse, when I have been working and responded to repeated requests to come play with me, daddy, with absent-minded, oh, okay, oh, okay, just, just a minute, just, just a minute, and a minute turns into five, and the five turns into, well, you probably can guess. I believe in elevating the mundane to the level of spectacle. Every day, our ragtag bohemian foursome tries to rock heavy and sing loud. I have no idea what will be remembered and what will be forgotten in our children's minds over time, but as their parents, we are going to cheat big time and cram in all the play and dancing and art making and impromptu expeditions to city and forest that we can do so that something just might stick in those noggins. Who knows what they will latch on to, but by the white beard of Odin, let their memories be ones that are filled with love, joy, empathy, and Kimya and melody lines. Why... Did Abraham Lincoln write the Gettysburg Address in the back of an envelope? I like to think it was because he forgot his Moleskine notebook and was creatively repurposing what would have been a scrap of trash. I am glad that our brains have a filtering mechanism that allow us to prioritize information and learn how to train our brains to have some degree of control over what we allow into the memory banks to begin with. And also, I'm well aware of how I am indiscriminately referring to generic memory without acknowledgement of different types, such as short-term, long-term, explicit, implicit, autobiographical, etc. Thank you for calling me out on that. Eventually, that process of learning to filter and thus prioritize is what allows some people to become highly efficient decision-makers. Um, Sherlock Holmes, according to legend, referred, refused to allow many types of information into his consciousness. He didn't want to clutter his head with extraneous information. I always liked that idea. And Malcolm Gladwell talks about this part of the brain, the ventral medial prefront, prefrontal cortex in Blink, his wonderful book, Blink. It's kind of the gateway to rapid decision-making and good, ju and good judgment skills. Um, and if you're wondering if I remembered that or if I had to look it up, then yes, actually, I did remember that. It was important for me to remember it, so I tried to remember it. Um, I wish I didn't remember some information so unconsciously. A decade since I last heard it, why am I able to recite the lyrics for the Beastie Boys' Paul Revere from 1986 verbatim without even thinking about it? How did those get lodged in my fast retrieval storage in so permanent a fashion? I am grateful for forgetting. I hope that the gift of forgetting is one that our children will be blessed with when it comes to those times when our actions or words don't live up to our ideal. That said, I am grateful to various calendar systems and journals and email and stuff like that that gives you some degree of ability that past generations didn't have to kind of dump those schedule worries or stresses or whatever into pieces of cloud software and know that they'll get archived and remembered in some form, which, you know, that's a whole nother discussion. Anyway, we returned my mom's purse. Still haven't found my battery charger or glue gun, and I still don't remember who I was supposed to call back today. Our family trip to return that purse. Was it a trip we had planned on taking? No, but it became an opportunity an opportunity to cruise through Christmas-lit neighborhoods and start making our best of 2010 music lists. 
All Smiles will certainly be on my list, as will Sufjan Stevens, School of Seven Bells, MGMT, and, of course, Jeremy M. Long, and others I don't remember off the top of my head. I better go to bed now. I have something important in the morning, I think. I don't remember what. That was from 10 years ago. This is from this month. It's a post from this month, and it's called When We Decide, When We Talk About What to Decide. I vowed, long before having children, that I would never hit our children. And I use hit in the widest sense of the world, of the word, including all the classic euphemisms to make hitting a child sound different than what it actually is. I have kept that vow to myself, and it is a good thing I made that vow long before having children, because there have been plenty of situations where I would have resorted to that as the easiest possible option, if I had made that any sort of option. Some things... You just leave off the table as options, period. I am so grateful. I say that not to toot my own horn or ride on a high horse, but to say it's not easy to decide some courses of action as a parent. It's especially not easy to decide some things in the moment. Which is why you have to think beforehand of how you're going to respond when you're at the end of a rope with a child and you're both beyond frustration. If our children ever write books about their childhood someday, they will not be able to write beautiful things I wish they could, like, my dad never yelled at us or raised his voice. That simply wouldn't be true. But I will tell you this. Committing to hugs and listening, overhitting and yelling, is a choice and commitment that will turn out to be one of the greatest and best investments you can ever make in your child and their future. This piece is also from this month, called Poetry, The Mistakes We Catch in the Dark of a Tuck-In. Chapter 1. I lay by him in the dark, his squiggly body squiggling. Chapter 2. Would you like to talk about poetry? I whispered. I think, he whispered, his whisper a volume louder than Minnie's raised voices, I think I'm going to say yes, that I want to talk about poetry. Chapter 3. His recent phrase has been responding to questions by starting a response with, I think that I'm going to say. I rather enjoy this methodology and might be a good reminder for journalists to follow. Let me tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'll tell you. Chapter 4. So, I suggested, how about No Man is an Island? No, he reminded me. We already did that one tomorrow. Chapter 5, The Future is the Past. One of my favorite phrases he's done throughout his tenure of age 3 is referring to the future and past tense. This may put the previous section into more understandable context. It's really an enjoyable way to make conversation more delicious and force people to be on their tiptoes. Thank you for the scrumptious dinner you made tomorrow, I plan on saying to Becca someday, or I might have already said it next week. Chapter 6, so, no man is an island, I ask. No, no man is an island. What about Shakespeare's Sonnet 116? Nah, he dismissed immediately. I already did that one tomorrow, too. Okay, I agreed. Let me see if I can come up with one more option. Chapter 7. How about Little Miss Muffet, I suggested. Would that be a good nighttime one? Yes, he agreed with a thunderous whisper. I begin. Little Miss Muffet, I begin, sat on a tuffet eating her curds and whey. I could hear him muttering along in the darkness as I raced through the remaining lines. 
Along came a rhinoceros who sat down beside her and scared Miss Muffet away. There, I said. Was that good? No, he said. It was not good. You did it incorrectly. Really? I said. What did I say incorrectly? What, what was actually incorrect? I could feel my face as self-portraiture of innocence in the dark night. What was incorrect, he stated uncertainly, was that, was that you said... He paused, seemingly trying to ensure he correctly assessed my error. What you said incorrect, he said, picking up confidence, was that you said scared, and it's supposed to be frightened. Miss Muffet was frightened away. Oh, I said. Good point. Let me try again. Chapter 9. I tackled it for a second time. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet, eating her curds and whey. I paused and queried, okay so far? Yeah, he boomed in my ear. You are correct. I continued and picked up the pace now that I had my confidence back. Along came a crocodile who sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. How was that? I asked quickly. He laughed. That was good, he said, because you said it correctly this time. You said frightened instead of scared, and it was correct this time. Why did you, why did you say it wrong the first time? I'm going to have to think about that one, I said. I wonder what it was that made me do it incorrectly. We breathed quietly in the, darkne in the darkness together, thinking of poetry and poets. I broke the silence again. So you thought I did, I did a pretty good job overall of doing the poem correctly. Anything else I could improve on? Chapter 10. He thought loudly. It was good, he finally repeated. You did it correctly the second time because you said frightened, except, I quickly interrupted, except what? Except, he continued, I think it's actually supposed to be a spider. Well, I said, I am relieved that you barely noticed that minor mistake. Thank you for correcting me on the big one. I will try not to confuse frightened and scared again. Thank you for helping me learn it correctly. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, he said, and went to sleep. Epilogue. I pray that his guardian rhinoceroses... Rhinoceri? Will look out for him and scare, I mean, frighten, away any bad dreams he might have. My thought on this is, what can we learn about priorities and perspective from children? To begin with, what are the mistakes or errors we think are obvious... And what are the ones they think are obvious? And what does it say about different ways of viewing the world and the details that are important or less important in a story? I don't know. I simply think it's good to keep telling stories and nourishing our emotional health with vibrant dialogue and banter. This story, the final story, is from eight years ago. Now, I told this story to my children eight years ago. The story, it's actually a story about a story. So you can sort of think of it as the Christmas Eve uh, inception of stories. Because it's kind of a story buried within a story. Possibly buried within a story. It's called, Is Santa Claus Really Real? A Christmas Eve story in which I go shopping with my dad in an elf hat and I am the good guy in the story. Once upon a time, when I was an adult, I begin. My daughter interrupted. Is this a scary story? Yes, I said. Just kidding, it's not. Then why did you say it was? I changed my mind and decided to tell the unscary version, I said. Tell the scary version. Okay, then. Well, I will have to make up part of it. You want me to do that? Yeah. 
I'm not going to tell you what parts are made up and what and which parts aren't. Why? Because then it wouldn't be scary. Deal? Daddy, just tell me what parts you're making up. No, then it wouldn't be scary. Fair? Yeah. Thank you. So, once upon a time, when I was a very successful adult, but not the age I am now, then we were in Lincoln City on Christmas Eve. You probably want to know why we were, we were in Lincoln City on Christmas Eve. To go Christmas shopping? No. We were there because a friend of ours was in the hospital there and she was going to have a baby. Have you ever heard of a baby? We wanted to be supportive, so we went there. We were waiting and waiting and waiting. Although the cinema would have you believe otherwise, then oftentimes what happens when somebody's having a baby is that there's a lot of waiting and waiting. We couldn't actually see her, and so my dad said to me, Hey, Joseph, I gotta run some errands. I said, Dad, what errands do you have to run? It's Christmas Eve. I, j I just gotta run some errands. I thought we were going to go eat, I said. Yeah, we'll do that. I just got a couple errands I gotta run. Can you just tell me where you're going? Nah, I just gotta run a couple places. Dad, I said, you're being very weird. Come on, it's Christmas Eve. Uh, yes, Dad, I... I know it's Christmas Eve. I'm very aware that it's Christmas Eve and that I'm spending Christmas Eve in a hospital right now. But thank you for reminding me that it's Christmas Eve. I can't think of anywhere I'd rather be right now than in a hospital. I can tell that you're being sarcastic, but I've got an idea. How about a little dad-son bonding time? What do you say? Fine, I said. So he hopped in the van, the big black passenger van he was driving at that point in his life. At that point in my life, I was a grown-up adult, driving a much nicer automobile than a black van, and I was very successful, if I remember correctly. Too successful to be driving in a dorky passenger van. So I get in, and my dad tosses me something, something red and white. Know what it was? A candy cane? My daughter asked. Nope, I said. A hat, like an elf hat. What's this for? I ask him. It's a hat. Why would I wear it? To stay warm, and also it's Christmas Eve. I know that it's Christmas Eve, Dad. We already went over this. I know it's Christmas Eve. What does that have to do with putting on an elf hat? I'm not an elf, Dad. Yeah, you're an elf. We're both elves right now. No, I am not an elf. I am in college. And I am a person, a very successful person. And I don't think I should be wearing a stupid elf hat right now. What if people see me? Well, if you're a wimp, then don't wear it. I'm not a wimp, Dad. I, I, why should I wear an elf hat that's probably lice-infested and smells like a dental chair? <sighs> Fine, I give in, I'll wear it, whatever. Don't say whatever, he said. Well, don't, don't say, don't say whatever. Don't say, don't say whatever when I say, don't say whatever. Dad, don't try to cheer me up. I would just like to be in a bad mood right now. Why would you be in a bad mood? It's Christmas Eve. I know it's Christmas Eve. You keep telling me that it's Christmas Eve, and I am very aware that it is Christmas Eve. And I feel like being in a foul mood right now because I am in a town far away from our home where I would like to be with a comfortable dinner table and a Christmas tree and lights twinkling and music going and presents under the tree and thinking of all those Christmas things we're supposed to be doing, all snuggled up and warm, waiting for hot chocolate and whipped cream and peppermint things and waiting to watch Die Hard after Mom goes to bed and all that stuff. But no, I'm not doing any of that. I'm driving here with you in a foreign town on Christmas Eve. It's like we're Joseph and Mary right now in a place far from home. We have no place to go.
that doesn't make sense because I'm not pregnant. I know you're not pregnant, Dad. You're a guy. Yeah, I know. I was just making sure you knew that. Dad, sometimes you can be a dork. Thank you. I wasn't saying it as a compliment. Well, I took it as a compliment. Thank you. No. If I didn't say it as a compliment, then don't take it as a compliment. You can't take something that was meant to be an insult and accept it as a compliment. That's illegal. Well, I changed the rule. You can't change the rule. I'm your father, so I changed the rule. Any rule that you make, I can change. That's not fair. Don't say it's not fair, he said. I can say it's not fair if I want. No, I'm your father. You can't say it's not fair. Well, I am an adult, I reminded him. A very successful adult. Right now, you look like an elf. Dad, where are we going? Seriously, what are we doing that is so important that you pull me away from the one comfortable place I was actually in? A hospital, which is at least warm. Unlike your van with a broken heater, and I'm wearing a stupid elf hat, and I'm tired of listening to Mariah Carey. That's what elves do. They wear hats and listen to Mariah Carey on repeat. For the last time, I am not an elf, and you are not an elf. Now let's get this ridiculous errand done, whatever it is. Okay, let's do it. Where do you want to go? What do you mean, I said. Where do you want to go? Dad, you asked me to go with you to run some errands on Christmas Eve. That means that you had something in mind. I'm just along for the ride. You wanted me to come. Yeah, where do you want to go? Are you telling me that you don't have any idea where we're going? Wait a second. There are no errands, are there? You had no errands. Not true. We're running errands right now. I just don't know where we're going. Hey, look, there's a store. That's where we're that's where we're running one of our errands. Dad, seriously, we left everybody at the hospital to run these errands, and you don't even have anywhere to go. You don't have a plan at all. Well, yeah, I just wanted to get some Christmas presents. <sighs> Deep sigh. Tomorrow is Christmas. You're telling me that it is... I check my watch. 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and you want to go Christmas shopping. Yeah, I thought we'd just get some Christmas presents. Have you not done any Christmas present shopping? Of course I have. Then why do we need to go get Christmas presents? We don't need to. I just thought it would be fun to go get some more. So we pull into this store, this parking lot in front of this store, and he leans on his horn. Honk! Just leans on it. What was that for, I said, ducking my head. What was what for? Why did you just honk the horn? Because I'm angry. Why are you angry? Because the store is closed. Dad... Of course it's closed. It's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. Stores are closed on Christmas Eve. That's stupid. Dad, it's not stupid. People don't go shopping on Christmas Eve. Well, I'm a person and I'm trying to go shopping on Christmas Eve, so therefore your logic is false. I am trying to go shopping on Christmas Eve with my son, like you suggested. I did not suggest going shopping on Christmas Eve. Stop twisting my words around. Stop twisting my words around. Also... Stop copying me, Dad. Stop copying me. Dad! Dad. I swear, Dad, you are the most frustrating person on the face of the universe. How do you know we're on the face of the universe? How do you know this isn't the universe's butt? (sighs) That's not even funny, I say. Yeah, it's funny. No, it's not. Yeah, it's funny. It's not funny. Yeah, it's funny. It's... (sighs) Okay, Dad, I'm telling you, as one very successful person who understands humor and what's funny and what's not and what's not funny, that that is not funny. 
Anyway, we drive up and down the stretch of Lincoln City, Oregon, looking for somewhere to buy Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. Your dad was being funny, my daughter informed me. No, he's not being funny, I said. I am the good guy in this story. Your dad is funny, she pronounced. No, he's not. Do you want me to finish this story? Yeah. Okay, so we're driving around and we see another parking lot. We pull in to check it out. My dad cranks the van around. Crank! And also, my dad has probably set the world record for the longest amount of time that he leaves his blinker on when he's turning. So we're driving down the, in the big black bomber van, wearing elf hats, and his blinker is going... I don't know how to make a, a blinker sound, but it was making the blinker sound. Um, Dad, I said, your, uh, your blinker is going. Oh, okay. Are you going to turn it off? Yeah. How come you're not, then? Doesn't seem to be bothering anybody. That's because nobody else is out on the road right now. We're the only ones out on the road. Good point. I'll turn it off pretty soon. Dad, you are so frustrating. So we keep on driving and cannot find a place open. As I had told him, I was right and he was wrong. Of course, we're not going to find any places that are open for shopping on Christmas Eve. Just like I told him, suddenly, you will not even believe what we saw. A tiger? My daughter asked, hopefully. Nope. Lion? Nope. My two-year-old son jumped into the guessing. A lion? A tiger? A bat? Nope, I'll tell you. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. We're cruising down the road and we see this blubbery patch of red and white. My dad says, hey, it's a giant elf. I say, that's not a giant elf that looks like Santa. <sighs> yep, sure enough. Santa was walking along the sidewalk holding a leash attached to what looked like a beagle wearing reindeer antlers. I know you're making this part up, my daughter informed me. Not necessarily, I informed her. Daddy, there's no such thing as Santa. How do you know? Because I've never seen him. Well, I told her, that is what we call a black swan scenario. Nassim Nicholas Tlaib talks about it, and essentially what it means is that just because you've never seen something before doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So just because you've never seen Santa Claus, does that prove that Santa Claus doesn't exist? Can you prove the non-existence of Santa Claus? No, she acknowledged with reluctance. So you can't really disprove the existence of something, I guess was my point. Well, I don't believe in Santa Claus, she said. Okay, well, I guess that just like I didn't believe my father, you're choosing to disbelieve me. So is he really real? She said sarcastically. Did you really see Santa? Maybe you thought you did and it was somebody dressed up. Santa Claus wears a suit, my son unnecessarily announced. Is Santa Claus real? I asked him. No, he said. Why not? Because Santa Claus is not real because he's not real, he replied. That is what we call circular logic, I patiently told him. So anyway, we see Santa Claus there in the road, and my dad said, It's really Santa Claus! There's no such thing as Santa Claus, I said. And he said, Well, that's not true. Santa Claus is right in front of us. And I said, Dad, Santa Claus is not real. Well, we're looking at Santa Claus in front of us. Dad, that's somebody dressed up as Santa Claus. There's a difference between dressing up like something and actually being something, right? Right, my daughter said. So, 
Santa Claus was on the sidewalk walking his dog with reindeer antlers. I said, well, fine. Let's find out if that's really Santa. Let's find out if that just happens to be the real Santa. Just out walking his dog with fake reindeer antlers before he takes off in his sleigh to deliver presents to good little children around the world. Improbable physics notwithstanding. Nah, I don't want to stop, he said. Why not? If we stop right now, Dad, then you could prove, you could find out right now Santa Claus actually exists. Nah, I don't want to find out. Why not? I don't want to know. What do, you, what do you mean you don't want to know? Why would I care if Santa Claus exists or not? I want to believe that Santa Claus is real, so I'm just going to believe that. Let me get this straight. You want to keep on driving when all is what we'd have to do is pull over and ask that guy, is that a fake beard you're wearing? Are you really Santa Claus? We could find out right now if that is a fake Santa Claus or, or a real one, and you don't want to find out? Nope. Why not? Because I want to believe in magic. Dad, you're an adult. Why would you want to believe in magic? Because I don't like having everything explained to me, he said. I want to believe in something extraordinary. So I choose to believe in Santa Claus right now. And I'm going to choose to believe that we just passed Santa Claus on the road walking his reindeer dog back there. And when we get back to the hospital, I'm going to tell everyone in the hospital that we saw Santa Claus. Santa Claus walking his dog. Well, Dad, that wouldn't be true. How do you know it wouldn't be true? It might be true. Dad, I am an adult. He interrupts. A kid. No, Dad, I am an adult. A very successful adult. A kid. My, my kid. You're my kid. Stop calling me kid. You're my kid. Instead of referring to me as a kid, could you just refer to me as a highly successful adult? Well, nah, you're my kid. I'd prefer to just call you my kid, and I believe in Santa. He starts yelling out the window. Oh, look, everybody, I'm driving next to an elf. Look, everybody, I'm right next to an elf. I look around. Nobody there. Dad, who are you talking to? I'm just telling everybody that I'm driving along with an elf. Look in the mirror. Dad, you're such a cornball. I'm wearing an elf hat. That doesn't make me an elf. Ah, that's where you're wrong. You're an elf. My daughter is laughing. Your dad is right. I'm going to tell everybody when we get back, he says, that I have spent Christmas Eve almost running over Santa and riding around with an elf. My son saw an opening. Hi, elf daddy. I'm not elf daddy, I calmly told him. He went on the attack. Hi, elf daddy. I sighed deeply for the billionth time. You know what I want right now, Dad? Some Mexican food. I want some Mexican food. I need to eat. We drove back. I could see that his shoulders were slumped, just a tige. He didn't have the same bouncy joie de vivre. I started thinking about my old man, such a cornball. Do I really know more than he does, I thought? Of course I do, I answered myself. I know way more than he does. I'm, I'm in college. But maybe there's a few things he's figured out that I haven't yet. Does it hurt anybody to believe in magic once in a while? So we got out of the dork van. You can leave your elf hat in the front seat, he said, shoulders slumped. I tugged my elf hat lower on my head and I pushed him in the chest and said, Get your elf hat back on, old man. He started to get a smile on his face. We walked into the hospital lobby. I slugged him in the kidney and kicked his rear end without breaking stride with my foot as we came through the automatic doors. The kid had just been born, and we could hear it screaming down the hall, I think, or maybe someone else was just in a lot of pain or in labor or something. I, I don't know. Everybody was slumped in chairs waiting, a regular nativity. And I said, 
Guess what? We just saw Santa out walking his dog. Let's go get some food, some Mexican food. The end. Can you tell me another story? My daughter asked. No, I said angrily. It's almost Christmas and Santa will be here soon. So that wraps up our Christmas episode for 2020. I hope you're doing great. Have a wonderful rest of your year. Chat soon. Joseph out.